Welcome to Cancel Culture, the business of law podcast brought to you by Byfield. Welcome back to Cancel Culture, the business of law podcast. Uh, Michael is back on this week. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm good, Meg. Nice to be back. Yeah, uh, and we're recording this uh, after 6 p.m. on a Wednesday, so forgive us if we're not making any sense. It's been a manic week. Um, but let's start off with kind of big news uh, that broke on Law.com, actually. Justin Henry in the U.S. Um, last week uh, about Paul Weiss uh, changing its kind of partner compensation system to introduce a black box system whereby the partners basically don't know how much each other are going, are going to be paid and management just decides for them. Uh, the rationale behind that apparently, I mean, the firm didn't comment, but apparently it would be to kind of avoid partner disputes and things like that uh, and tensions internally. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, it doesn't happen very often. I think it's probably the biggest kind of major corporate comms issue that's appeared this year so far. So um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I think I think it's it's a genuinely notable business of law story. Um, yeah. the biggest one of twenty twenty four so far. So far, I think, um, given the lateral hires that the firm has made yeah. uh, last year, and no doubt, you know, busting the normal structures in terms of compensation as a as a as a, as a you know probably the biggest lateral investment of any of any um global firm last year so it's really interesting though isn't it conceptually because you you're moving from transparency to 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 non-transparency yeah. um and it's and it, it's it's kind of funny because on the face of it you think rather than solving an issue we're just going to to, to not look at it but actually it, it can work in practice mm. as long as as long as I think as long as partners understand the factors that determine their compensation yeah. and how they can change that for the better, yeah. the behaviours that, 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 that influence what they get paid and the, and the elements of, of, of what make up the, what they get, yeah. um, then that's kind of fine. It is a bit strange having the like really transparent partners being able to log into a system and see exactly yeah. how the you know billable hours knowing exactly what for, what each partner's doing working on and that kind of that can drive unhealthy levels of internal competition yeah, yeah. or or um, political issues yeah equally this i i you know what's the saying? You know, I've never seen a Chinese wall that didn't have a grapevine growing over it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, is the is saying, and it, uh, some limited information is going to get out and go around. Yeah. Um, but I think it's how you do it. If 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 the partnership is bought into it, I have got no idea, and, it's just, uh, and I suspect the firm wouldn't disclose it. I have got no idea whether. Um, the change required a partnership vote or if it's something that, that leadership can just impose without that. I have mm. no idea. It puts a huge amount of power and pressure, power in the hands of leadership. Yeah. I wouldn't say pressure necessarily, but I think because the lack of transparency means that I suppose even if they did get something wrong, it wouldn't be necessarily known about. Yeah. But it does, the partners really need to trust, 
trust leadership's judgment yeah. and be able to influence uh, and be able to influence their own compensation based on defined and known parameters. If they don't know how they can get paid more, then I think it would be a, a, an absolute horror show. Yeah. So I think there needs to be like transparency about how what, it's measured. How it's measured. Yeah. And the only thing that's being removed is the ability to see what others are getting paid. Yeah. So I think black box should, is a bit of a misnomer, really. And if anything, any firm deploying this system, this system needs to really double down on internal transparency about what, the, what about how performance is measured. Uh, it's just taking out that comparative factor. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting. I'm not surprised they've done it. Um, I think black box systems and big American firms that were previously all equity moving towards a bit like Kirkland introducing group, you know, ranks of salary partners are two of the biggest kind of business of law partner comp kind of developments of uh, recent months or yeah. the last year or so. And I think that, that, that will continue. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting story. Um, I mean, I think it's going to make them definitely like a, a, an interesting firm for journalists, legal journalists to report on because I guess they'll want to know what's going on. And, you know, um, so I think it will be interesting from that point of view and how the, the partners won't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, then again, you know, people speak like, do you know what I mean? Like people just slip stuff into conversations, you know, without even thinking or, you know, like you, you're friends with people at your firm and it, like, things happen like that or maybe you're in competition with someone else on the team and you're like you're desperate to know how much they're getting paid like you know i guess i don't know how that's going to work out in practice and i'm curious to see how that's going to go um well if you think about jones day was 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 i remember there being a lot of uh quite a lot of coverage about i know was it a decade ago i mean joke Show my age. Um, it was some time ago uh, that Jones Day went to a black box model, and at the same time, they also went to, you know, become. They also became a firm that doesn't really comment on anything in yeah. the press. Yeah. Um, but they continue to exist. They continue to make money, and they continue to seem to like have quite a, you know. Yeah, but then I wonder about their culture, though. And so I think I think it's the culture point firms when they make those types of decisions because they will in, in, inevitably um, affect it in a positive or negative way I don't know that's that's what I'm keen to find out but yeah it's um you're right it will affect it uh, so, uh, it's a big change that will impact a firm's culture the, the hope is positively but you know who knows it'll be yeah. it'll be interesting to to see yeah definitely uh or not see why or not see yeah Uh, next story. Um, so that came out in the Times this week. Um, so apparently, Sotra and May um, sent out a memo internally saying that, you know, it will be tracking when people enter the building and share their attendance data uh, with group heads and HR um, and basically name and shame those who work from home most of the time. Uh, so my understanding is the firm's got a three-day in-the-office kind of policy Um I mean, to be honest, I'm, if I'm being fully honest, I'm not entirely sure why. I mean, I can see why, because the slaughter and they would make the news. But at the same time, all of the U.S. firms are now requiring people to be in the office four days a week, basically. Like, that's pretty much the standard across U.S. firms. Um, we're seeing a lot of firms kind of move towards that way. I think the messaging 
can be handled in a different way. I mean, when we see firms, you know, saying your attendance will be related to your bonus or like that kind of stuff, I'm just not sure that's the right way to go about it with your own people. I can see why, I can see the incentive and I can see why people being in the office is a good thing. I just think that, you know, the tone needs to be right. Yeah, I I, I agree that the tone needs to be right and there are many opportunities to get it completely wrong. I'm not certain that they have here, but it, you know, the point is that it's Slaughter and May and anything that Slaughter and May does is newsworthy yeah. because because it's Slaughter and May and the brand is still extremely strong and everybody's very interested in what they do. So um, there's a little bit of a hiding to nothing there in yeah, certain yeah. respects. Um, yeah. I, I think there, I would make two observations. Firstly, the pandemic was quite a long time ago. Um, yeah. Yes, we realised there were certain benefits from working from home, some of which accrued to firms etc not just individuals yeah but let's face it a lot of a lot of the benefits were for the individual yeah um and some of the downsides though now begin to accrue to the individuals the more junior ones who are not getting the who without more senior colleagues and a universe of of a full universe of, of colleagues around them don't necessarily develop the skills that they need in the yeah. same way because you you can't learn in the same without spending some time spending time in the office yeah, in the same yeah. way um so i think for the generation for whom a lot of working from home really suited them you know there are more dispersed firms that the dispersed firm consultant model firms i think there's a degree of self-selection if you want to work from home the majority of the time not be subject to some this stuff yeah you can go to one of those firms if you're a lawyer if yeah. you're staff Maybe not so much. Staff, it's a bit different, but um, lawyers can select the kind of firms they want to work for. You know, if you're a good lawyer and you've got a following or whatever, go and be a consultant, go for a firm that doesn't have these um, because those firms do exist. Um, employees on the business services side is a bit different, um, but it's perfectly acceptable for firms to take business, to take decisions in the interest of a business. And they've yeah. obviously deciding more working in the office is necessary. The second point that I would make is that um, when it comes to um, when it, I've actually forgotten what I was going to say. Um, I did have something. It'll come back to me in a minute. It Why don't you talk? Back. But I mean, I, I just think you know. Yeah, I don't. I mean, the whole industry has been grappling with this problem for for a while now, and I don't think there's going to be. I mean, I think those decisions are dictated by clients i've remembered now go ahead <laughs> it has been a long day um partners right it's really important that it's consistent okay it's really important that if they're going to record this information and name and shame yeah you get if there's you know it's, if you're going to name and shame the train you're going to do it at partner level too ex exactly and i know yeah. that business travelers come back and so on and so forth yeah. and they may say well of course i've been away i've been on this deal or this case or whatever but they should still have to justify that if you yeah the, the, where 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 firms consistently get into reputational trouble whether it is in terms of conduct issues HR policy issues, whatever that, that cross over into rep, that cause reputational consequences, 
a lot of the time it is by drawing too much of a distinction between partners and everybody else. Yeah, and it's a very easy trap to fall into. And yes, partners, business owners and everything. But if you're going to re- make certain requirements of your people, you have to make those requirements of all your people, yeah. whether that is a policy like this or whether it is a policy around, you know, you know, conduct. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's... Um, and if anything, there should be a, a, a higher bar for the people who set the example. So if you've got an associate who's getting pulled up on it, but the partner's been working from home all week and just, oh, it's too noisy in the office, yeah. you know, and doesn't, doesn't have any, like, doesn't get called out at all or doesn't get named and shamed or whatever, then that would be unfair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, to be honest, I doubt... Um, Many slots right. My partners work from home full time. I'm being fully honest, so I'm not really worried about this as such. No, no, no. And, not, and, and it's more wider. No, I, I know. I agree. I agree with you. Um, and to be honest, I think what that tells me is that they're seeing a need for people to be in the office at the junior level. That's what that tells me. That messaging. Um, and I think that's fair. I think it's fair. Um, and and again, it's a it's it's the type of industry where actually most of these decisions are dictated by client demand. So unfortunately, if your client wants you to be in Hong Kong tomorrow morning, well, then you have to get on the plane. And that's it, the same thing here, where if you if they want to meet you for coffee tomorrow, then you have to go into the office. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. And, I, and I guess for this firm specifically, the culture point is so important to them that it just makes sense that they would want people present. Um, yeah. You, you know, you got to be together as a team a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and that comes with the territory of working long hours and everything. So Yeah, definitely. Uh, next up, uh, this is a story uh, that I'm currently reading from um, Legal Futures. Uh, consumer claims from SSB Law, uh, which went in, into administration uh, this month, uh, owes litigation funders a total of £200 million, pounds, uh, apparently. Um <laughs> So um, the the report says that um, the joint administrators said that although it had nearly 43,000 cases on its books, uh, it was not enough for an, quote, overhead cost base geared towards greater volumes. Um, Almost 200 people were made redundant. Um, So, yeah, not a great place to be. (laughs) Um, What are your thoughts here? I mean, I think it, oh, it's quite complicated. One. It is. I think fundamentally it's a litigation funding is not an easy asset class. Yeah. Litigation is not an easy, funded cases are not an easy asset class. Um, you know, you can either have high volume, <laughs> high volume risk or highly granular big case risk. Um, you know, I, I suppose I don't, I don't really know anything about the company. The, the firm itself, etc. But if forty three thousand cases were not enough to cover the costs, and they needed greater volumes, you know, something it's, it's interesting. The sort of volume, what, what we see around funded cases is, are the big sort of you know sexy ones, but like and you know Dieselgate stuff and the yeah. consumer claims and and all, and all of that high value and yeah yeah potentially high value big names etc. So yeah. but if you're like um, on the consumer claims side, it's much more volume. 
you know, it's your, I don't know, I don't know, is it, what, what do they call it? Slips, chips, trips, or whatever. I don't, I don't know, know, Michael. <laughs> um, that's more injury and stuff. But, but they've also got um, cavity wall insulation and so on and so forth. So, you know, there's all this stuff going on as well where litigation funding is, is involved in, you know, funding firms, etc. And so I think, I think it's, it just shows that it's not straightforward. There is quite a lot of fairly transformational change that has gone on at this in this segment of the market in terms of operating models, volume-based claims, ownership of the companies, uh, um, finance, and sometimes it goes quite badly wrong. And in this case, you know, the litigation funders have, have lost out hugely, but also there's a lot of barristers' chambers here. Um, who lost significant amounts of money um, and probably won't recover anything. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm always quite surprised when you get these blow-ups from time to time. You know, we saw it with Quindell a number of years ago. Um, we, this is pretty big. Obviously, Axiom Int's big in a different way. Yeah. All different reasons, but in a certain segment of the market, there have been some quite large firm failures yeah. that haven't really registered with the market as a whole um and and that's interesting and i don't know if it's because of the nature of of, of, of the work or because it doesn't involve big name big brand firms i mean what do you what do you think meg i'm not sure i mean i think um i mean what surprises me is the the number of cases and i'm just like well how how is it possible that the money is not matching that um because this must have been like quite like small value claims in a way. Yeah, I mean, and I'm but, not sure how it's possible to get into that trouble. But uh, you know, I would have thought that the first people to be paid back from the administration would have been well, the 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 funders. Um, well, if, if it, it, I mean, I don't know. Without reading the report, I don't know. I mean, there will be answers here. But you've you, you fundamentally you've got 200 people who've been made redundant. Yeah, which yeah. Is, um, uh, which is a shame um, in Sheffield, and so I think just the the, op- the the tensions and the stress in certain segments of the market yeah. is quite high, and leading to certain failures. And it's a combination of market stress in, from the economy, but also specific conditions like a way the way a firm is set up or operating or funded, yeah, yeah, yeah. financing costs. So um, I think I think it'll be interesting to see if this is a big one-off, yeah. or if we're going to see more some of the more of the volume-based firms yeah. following and going down. Um, I don't know. It may depend on individual circumstances, or maybe yeah. maybe market issues. Um, yeah. Let's see. But I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see through twenty twenty four. Does is this a one off, or does it set the tone for more failures of this kind of type of firm? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Talking about um, litigation funders, a uh, big announcement this week. Um, so. The UK Justice Secretary, Alex Chalk, um, told the FT earlier this week um, that he planned uh, at the first legislative opportunity to reverse the damaging effects of uh, the PACA uh, ruling that came out in July. Um, so this was big news. And that's that's as a result of the kind of 
post a post office inquiry scandal that's ongoing. Um, and I think actually, I think that the first um, session for MPs to talk about it was yesterday, if I'm correct. Um, so it's interesting. Um, it's it's a big deal. Um, a lot of uh, disputes lawyers have been talking about this um, throughout the week. Uh, and they're all kind of welcoming um, that change uh, in the law. Um, so I don't know. Um, it's interesting. I, I, I think that it's clearly been, you know, Packard judgment was not particularly helpful um, to what is a fast growing area. Yeah. Um, but equally, when, it, when you come to um, whether the government should be intervening i don't know i mean it's like the, 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 we've also seen the post office the emergency legislation stuff where you know with with people in the justice system saying the courts would have been able to handle it there's no need for this legislation so you know we've seen as a as a theme throughout the last i don't know decade increasingly tension between politicians yeah. and the courts yeah the justice system and there is Certainly, very certainly, um, a sense I think of the government is keen to put the courts in their place a bit. Yeah, um, yeah. and the post office legislation is one where was it? For, I mean, maybe it's necessary given volume of claims and the time required. On yeah. balance, probably justifiable. Yeah, yeah. But as people said, as various people have observed, it should not set a precedent for using emergency legislation to override court decisions. Yeah. This is a very sp- specific case. Um, on this one, it's a, there's a little bit of like, you know, cakeism. It's like on one hand, we're not sure about, you know, that, but oh, yeah. this, the government like legislating here, you know, yeah. um, to overall, uh, to, to deal with a court, uh, a court decision that, that, that actually was a bit unfavorable towards some of us. We quite like that one. Yeah. Um, so I think it's overall a, a good thing. I'm just, I don't know whether decisions should be driving this sort of thing or legislation. I don't, I don't know. I think, I think for, for, Legisl- legislative clarity is probably a helpful thing. Yeah. Um, I know there were some uh, amendments proposed previously with a bill. Um, I, don't, I don't know where they've come from in terms of who's sort of been lobbying for them. Yeah. But obviously now they're much more likely to go through and get passed, etc., because using the post office um, developments. And I suppose innovation in the set, you know, the, the UK is a leading legal centre. Yeah possibly the leading legal centre um, globally and innovation. There's, there's always a balance between the certainty that that we can provide yeah. and innovation and and, it's, and finding the balance between this, this, the, between um, between certainty and innovation is hard. And, yeah. um, and encouraging some innovation and litigation funding to continue to grow is without doubt the right thing. Yeah. I think, as you say, I think the main worry is um, I can understand those circumstances specifically. I can see why, like, we needed a quick, quick action. And I guess it's a political issue as well, I guess, for the government. So it just makes sense to play in favor of 
the alleged victims. So I'm just like, it makes sense um, in these circumstances. But yeah, as you say, I wouldn't be keen for the government to just override every Supreme Court judgment ever every time they just don't like it. You do know what I mean? I think it's, it's setting a really dangerous precedent. I don't think that's likely to happen. However... Well, you never know. <laughs> how, 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 however, the, the principle, the, 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 you know, certainly some eminent figures have, have raised concerns about, you know, that this, this was probably the right thing to do in the circumstances, but really, really should not set a precedent. Yeah, um, agreed. Or um, it would undermine the um, sanctity of our... Yeah. Justice system. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, cool. Great. Great. Um, so everyone, um, feel free to listen to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, we'll, we'll be back next week for uh, a new episode um, with a, uh, a bank, actually. <laughs> so uh, that should be interesting. They've got some interesting research uh, to present to us about the legal industry. So yeah, looking forward to that. Um, and yeah, uh, feel free to subscribe and uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Council Culture, the Business of Law podcast brought to you by Byfield. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and join us again next week where we'll be discussing some more of the biggest stories in the legal sector. <laughs>